0: You're listening to Radio Free Satan, enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to another Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. And I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is August the 5th, and I've got a great show for you this week. I love August. I love August because it's my birthday month. That's right. The month that I was spat (laughs) into this cruel and unforgiving world. Spat or shat? Or spewed? Do you think any of these (laughs) is... None of them are attractive necessarily, but maybe maybe realistic, I don't know. Um, okay, well anyway, like I said, it is uh, next week is my birthday episode. And if you remember last year, I actually got mail after I had done it, and it was not pleasant. <laughs> like, if you like the normal format of the show, you probably are not going to like next week's show. If you enjoy me and my quirkiness... Maybe you'll enjoy it. <laughs> Maybe. But realistically, like, I'll open it with a compassion ritual. Because that's kind of where I am right now. Um, uh, greater magically speaking? I don't know, is that even... And uh, I'll open it with a ritual. And I will really kind of deliver a little highlight about yours truly. And I, I'm going to sing some songs. Yeah, that's right, I'm going to sing. Uh, so if for those of you who had e- emailed me and there were there was a bunch of you never to do that again, well, once a month I'm doing it. <laughs> I'm mean, not once a month. Once a year I am doing it. So just do not download next week's episode if that's the, your feeling. Um, so anyway, just to let you know that it's going to be a break in the regular show and uh, it's going to be me just being really sort of uh, self-centered and eccentric and probably really tossed. I mean, I'm going to be drinking the whole time. Uh, but this week is amazing. So I'm on vacation right now. Woo! Loving it. I gotta tell you, Sundays with no work the next day, it's like a Friday again. It's like a Saturday again. It's like a wonderful day that I do not have to worry about going back to the grind. It is, I'm I'm loving it, and I love vacations. I, I get two a year for a week each, and I really, truly enjoy them when I can. So right now, you hear that? That's a little bushmeals and ice. Yeah, sipping on that bad boy. And uh, this weekend is the Man Camp Out, 2012. I've been doing this for a few years now. It's me and a couple buddies of mine. We head up into the Uintas, really just guys. uh, And every year we get more people coming, uh, more gentlemen that are just friends of ours. And it's really not gay at all. I know it kind of sounds gay. (laughs) It's not Brokeback Mountain Camp Out. It's just Man Camp Out. So we get up there just sort of just decompress. Get away from the pressures of the world and our families, our children, our spouses, uh, our jobs. And just really reconnect with ourselves and uh, the friendship. I mean, some of these people I only see once a year. So this is the best time to see them. Um, so yeah, man camp out. We're going to go up in Uintas. Uh, we've been doing that for a few years as well. We're going to have to change up the location here pretty soon. But you know, go cliff diving, drink a lot, sit around the campfire and just sort of talking and maybe telling some really wonderful old horror stories because there's nothing greater, you know. I mean I, I absolutely love it. And uh this group of guys I got guy going up there, they are the salt of the earth, you know, truly fantastic people. And actually I have one person, one of the brand new people coming up, who uh yeah, a relation. Like not relations, but <laughs> relation. Uh, my nephew, so that's going to be interesting I get to uh, see unfiltered behavior from his uncle and me seeing it in him Uh, we don't really see each other that often we are kind of separated intentionally because of my evil ways (laughs) as as a young man so I I really was absent for the majority of his life and then he sort of grew up, became his own man and he thought, hey, I wonder what my uncle's doing so (laughs) now he's going to know how really weird I am Uh, it's going to be great, it's going to be a lot of fun Uh, You know what else is a lot of fun? Old Nick! Old Nick Magazine! Go to oldnickmagazine.com. You will uh, really, truly enjoy it. If you are a gentleman who enjoys looking at beautiful women, you're going to love Old Nick Magazine. Uh, If you're a guy that really likes to read interesting uh, articles, whether it's about drinking or uh, cigars or anything... Uh, Old Nick Magazine is going to be the one-stop source for you. And one thing I wanted to highlight this week about Old Nick Magazine that, that I think is great is there's a little bit of fiction. So they they have a, a segment in the magazine which is just a fictional story. And it's interesting. It's always a little different. Uh, and this month, the Hot as Hell Summer issue is no exception. Go out to oldnickmagazine.com, check it out. Their website actually has a lot more adult uh, flavored content, so there's going to be like webcam girls. There's going to be explicit versions of the images that you see in the magazine itself. The magazine is really sort of a tease. It, it's very a uh, Playboy-esque with a devil tint uh, feel to it. So it, it's certainly not porn by any means. Uh, which is, you know, I I appreciate the female form uh, much more than I appreciate porn, though I I do still enjoy <laughs> porn from time to time. Um, but I, I look at the like something like Old Nick, for example, a lot more. Uh, I just feel better when I look at it because I feel like it's, it's, it's sort of the, the epicureanist in me of enjoying women without objectifying them to parts. And that's uh, what I think porn does. Old Nick does not. So check out oldnickmagazine.com. You're going to love it. Uh, ...really fantastic people running the show over there... ...and uh, yeah, do your part and help support someone doing something worthwhile. Alright, so on to the show, The Devil's Advocate. I got a request in from one of the listeners, and thank you so much, I truly appreciate it... ...that had pointed out that I had talked about Satanist females um, a lot... ...and I rarely ever talk about what it means to be a man or a masculine Satanist. So in this Devil's Advocate, I'm going to speak to that specifically. What it means, in my opinion... ...to be a masculine Satanist. And one thing that I'm going to maybe touch on a little bit... ...that we have to also keep in mind... ...is that though I see myself as a masculine uh, uh, human being... ...a a very sort of manly man... ...that's all perception. And if you uh, follow the Satanic witch at all... ...or the complete witch... By Anton LeVay, you'll know that not every man is that way, you know, and, and really, gender is not as <sighs> confining as uh, just your inner core is, your, your sort of demonic self, and and where you fall on his on his personality uh, clock, as it were. So, uh, this is going to be speaking in generalities. Did I say that correctly? Generalities. <laughs> Uh, and it's not it's not like one size fits all. So, this is just sort of my take. And, and that goes for any segments I've done in the past speaking about satanic women. Uh, I mean, not everyone falls in line. That's what's wonderful about being human beings. That's certainly what's wonderful about being uh, human beings who identify themselves as Satanists. So, we don't expect you to be uh, one size fits all. You know, I mean, you are very much an individual. You're very much different than everyone else. And that's, you know, part of what we celebrate. So, don't think of these explanations of mine as um, absolutes, because they certainly are not. In the Infernal Informant, I have two articles again, at least seven dead, including Shooter at Sikh Temple, and The World is Seen by Republicans in a Land of Myth and Amnesia. And then I'm bringing you the second episode with Aaron of Down to the Crossroads. That is right. Once a month, I am uh, getting together with Aaron. Uh, Beautiful, wonderful, uh, really great ear on this woman. And she delivers some amazing music. So we're going to talk about it. We're going to present it to you. The first half of it, there's a little bit of an echo, but I think we resolved that in the second half. The music is coming through very clear now. Not the same issues as we had last time. So I really hope you enjoy it. And we have a little bumper. I told you a couple weeks ago that I was going to be sharing that bumper online. Well, I fucking lied. So (laughs) I'm going to show it to you in the the Down to Crossroads segment at the end. And that's going to be taking place with the Creature Feature segment. And that's going to do it for another show. So sit back, hold tight, raise your bush mills with me for another nine cents.
2: why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me! I guess, Father... You gotta feel that old neck in your soul. And it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all.
1: So, we're going to be talking today about masculine Satanist. That's right. I am a masculine. <laughs> it, it sounds like you're trying to convince people when you say something like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm masculine. I mean, seriously. I, I'm so really masculine, you know? Like, you, you really, if you have to identify yourself, it's one of those things that you don't have to say it if you are. You know what I mean? It, it just sort of comes off that way. Like, people will get it and just by you saying it makes you look like you're making it up so uh, maybe I'll just say being a male Satanist Okay. so when I think of what it means to be a man let's not even bring any Satanist anything into it yet Uh, the way I was raised men do what they have to do to provide security uh, finance and stability to the family And that means that they have to sacrifice for that. They sacrifice their own happiness and well being so that their family can have happiness and uh, safety and um, promise of opportunity. They suck up pain. And this is something I picked up more in the military than just growing up is that sometimes you just have to do shit you don't want to. And you don't complain about it you realize you have a little foresight. You know it has to be done, so you suck it up and you do it. That's something that really is not in line with anyone nowadays. I mean, our, our culture is really fucked up right now. But if we're speaking to what it means to be a man, well then, yes, that, that's what you have to do. You have to suck it up sometimes. Sometimes, and I say this occasionally, you have to take it on the chin. Whether it's your profession, uh, personal life, uh, your kids... Sometimes you just have to take it on the chin and do what has to be done. Um, and and that, that could actually not just be you taking um, abuse or, uh, you know, from a boss or something or from someone else that, in, in that situation, you deem it worthy to take. But it, it could also be just your kids dishing it out. You know, I mean, you don't always... One thing, here's something I, th- I think is, is really important about being a, a good father, but also a good man. Uh, teaching and allowing your children to rage against a machine. So they don't just rebel against the greater flawed society that we live in, uh, certainly the flaws that we point out to them, hypocrisies and such, um, in uh, schools, uh, in religion. But if you don't let them rage against you, then you're not really doing them any service. You have to allow them to have their own voice, and that may not fall in line with yours. So that's part of being a good father, is taking it on the chin in that regard as well. And then sometimes, you know what? You may be tired, you may have a headache, but uh, if your woman is calling, you need to. (laughs) You need to take it on the chin. (laughs) Because it's going to be flipped at some point, where she has a headache, and you're not going to want to hear it. So, you know... You got to give in order to get <laughs> to the fullest extent of the word. Uh, okay, so I mean that's sort of the basic of what it means to be a man. You have to follow through with your commitments. You may not, you may in the middle of your commitment realize that this is a bad deal, uh, whether it's a, a professional commi- commitment you've made, and you may want to back out. But if you do that, what does your word really mean? You have to follow through with what you commit to follow through with. Um, that line varies per person obviously but let's say you you join a sport team for example or you commit to coaching one for uh, your kids or something well you follow that through no matter how horrible it may be and i've had experience with this specifically of uh, coaching my son's soccer team torture
2: horrible
1: (laughs) i hated every minute of it but you know what I agreed to do it. I wasn't going to let the kids down. I wasn't going to let my son down. And I followed through with it. And though I still think it was horrible and I never did it again because of it, um, they had a lot of fun. I had people telling me they uh, thought I should do it again because of what I put into it. So even if you don't like doing things, sometimes you just have to do them. That is essential of what it to me means to be a man. Um, And you could say that could be any human being, but specifically, I feel like, and maybe it's just the greater world we lived in, or maybe it's the culture I was raised in, men sign on for more than women generally do. And this is going to sound very sexist um, to some of you out there, but I think uh, men are more apt to uh, agree to do things um, than necessarily women are. And again, culturally dependent, uh, your own individual family setup dependent, but, uh, yeah, in, in the women in my life signed up to, and, and this is not to diminish it at all, raise their children, which is a freaking huge undertaking, so don't think that I'm, I'm putting down on that at all. Uh, and housekeeping, uh, meaning taking care of what it means to keep the house going for everyone else. Um, and then sometimes, like my wife, for example, is a, a, a worker worker, and I think that's amazing. She's a very hard worker and she she's always out there, you know, busting her ass like I am. So so on top of all that, she does that. But if it she would never volunteer to teach a class for my kids or to to, you know, take them camping on her own. That's stuff that I do. That's you know, that's what I do. So, you know, or if if someone steals my kids' bike to go, you know, hunt them down, <laughs> you know, that's something that I do. So that's kind of what I mean. Um, that, that's, you know, part of being a man. So let's talk about it. Let's bring it a little more uh, closer home to the devil's advocate side here. And What does it mean to be a masculine Satanist? Now, a lot of this is going to be uh, paralleling the nine satanic statements, 11 rules of the earth, and the nine satanic sins, because it's all interrelated. Um, this philosophy itself is, is very much an American, in my opinion, masculine religion, which focuses on the appreciation and respect of individual power of women. Um, I mean, that's what Satanism is. So, first and foremost, we're Epicureans. We love to indulge, um, but it is not to a fault. We believe in responsibility. So, being uh, a Satanist man, you have to be able to stop and appreciate things. Whether it's a meal, or a drink, or a cigar... And uh, be responsible about it. That means you're not going to destroy the land that you're appreciating visually, whether it's uh, national parks or or just your local park or your backyard. You're not going to um, overindulge into a a disease, as people call it, of alcoholism. You're going to uh, maintain what you believe and what your body is telling you is a healthy level of consumption. Um, You are going to... Enjoy those around you, whether it's women or men. You know whatever your preference is, but responsibly, never sort of push yourself onto them if they're not open to it. Uh, but you will relish in those opportunities when given. But you're a realist. You know your own limits. You you do not have a diluted sense of self worth. You you are not um, uh, you're not pretentious at all. You you know your limits. You work within those to measure your own success in life. And, and this is something that's, that's really important, is that you struggle for your own personal definition of success. And I've actually talked to this before, uh, specifically I've spoken to this in the past episodes, so I'm not going to go into it um, any more than that. But you are always a perpetual student. <laughs> perpetual, always a perpetual. Uh, you will always strive to understand yourself and your surroundings more. And, I mean, that's what it means to be a Satanist, is study, not worship. So you're, you're constantly learning, you're constantly evolving your opinions and your thoughts. Um, that's what it means. So being a man may, you know, have this connotation of being obstinate or stubborn, but no, a real man, a, a satanic man, actually will evolve his perspective if it needs to be evolved, and that's through education. Uh, You're passionate and uh, vengeful at the same time. You will appreciate those very small moments you have with your children, if you have children, or your pets, if you have pets, or your spouse, or your significant other, or uh, just yourself. You'll be very passionate in those moments, and you will uh, really elevate your focus, whatever it is, um, the other person or yourself, Uh, to, to truly understand, but you will also rep people asunder if they cross you and you will not let wrongs go unchallenged. So this may mean that you step up to something that you know, you're going to regret. Um, but you know, that's what you do as a man. You, you defend your personal version of honor. And this is actually interesting to note. Um, I last week mentioned that Megus Peter H. Gilmore had a new essay out called On Honor, Integrity, Survival, and Satisfaction. That speaks specifically to this point. So uh, please go to the Church of Satan website and read that. Now, uh, not only you know understanding body language and... Uh, I mean, that sort of goes hand-in-hand with Lesser Magic and the understanding of Lesser Magic. But you also know when it's appropriate to voice a complaint or to give advice. And generally, that's only when asked. Uh, If it's your children, well, then you might have to step in because you're helping them grow as individuals, which means you have to be more open and forward with them. But you will not just shoot off at the mouth and give people advice like I'm doing here. (laughs) Well, you don't have to listen to this podcast, right? Uh, you know, if, if you're in the open. So, I mean, just as a prime example, I was over at Art on You Studios yesterday, which I was getting the final touch up done on my cover up tattoo by the artist Adam there. Thank you very much, man. I truly appreciate the work. And there was a guy there talking about how he had purgatory or something tattooed on him and it, like, ruined his life or something. I really wanted to chime in and say you're full of shit. And it had nothing to do with the tattoo. It had everything to do with your mind frame, you know, but but that's not what we do. We keep our mouths shut unless people ask us because it's none of our fucking business and, you know, let people self-destruct or believe their own ridiculous nonsense if they want to, as long as this isn't, in, like, influenced onto me, you know, pushed onto me or anything. Uh, the bottom line here is you have to show the basic level of restraint, but also to other human beings out there, you have to show the most basic level of respect. Now, you don't want to put onto other people understanding that you have, assuming that they understand, because that's, that, that's not the, the reality of the world we live in. Generally, we're going to be at a much more in tune level with uh, ideas and our environment than other people, just by our understanding of reality. Uh, but, you know, you have to provide that first level of, of basic respect. This is another human being. They're going to have differing views than you, and we understand that. Now, how they treat you from that point on, it's open game in how you respond. But you initially always, as a man, have to show that basic respect. And then as the last part of the man, you control the room. And that may mean that you push yourself out of the area of control, but you are always there ready to step in and take over if someone else is doing a poor job. And that's because you're watching other people. You understand their motivations. You understand their behaviors because you understand their motivations. You have to be able to study what it means to be a human animal. And that will tell you everything you need to know about why people do the things they do, what they're going to do next. You know, probability is not perfect. (laughs) But you can can really influence uh, others around you with those understandings. And, you know, being a man, controlling the room is a big part of lesser magic and certainly a big part of being a Satanist uh, in in just your behaviors. So, I mean, that's it for me, what it really means to be a masculine Satanist uh, and what it means to be a man. The bottom line here is, you know, some women are going to be more in line with this than some men because sexes are not absolutes. Certainly not nowadays, but I would argue never having been that way. We have generals, uh, you know, general ideas of, of expected behavior depending on the culture you're in and the society you're brought up in, but we are very versatile in our mannerisms, in our understandings, and certainly in our expressions of our sex. So take it for what it's worth. Let's go ahead and move on to the infernal informant.
0: Listen up, listen up, tell y'all Good news is no devil. Bad news.
1: Else is no heaven. There's nothing to see. I'm your fellow informant. Alright, this is JS Online, Journal Sentinel, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. At least seven dead, including shooter at Sikh Temple. This is by Mike Johnson, Karen Herzog, and Anissa Johnson. And updated, uh, 2.36pm if it matters, today. At least seven people were killed, including one shooter, just after 10am Sunday at the Sikh Temple in Oak Creek, 4 of the dead were inside the temple at 7512 South Howell Street, and 3 of the dead, including a shooter, were outside the temple. A police SWAT team entered the building before noon and brought uninjured people out of the building at 7512 South Howell Avenue. They started removing injured people from the temple's prayer room. SWAT team members were still sweeping the building about 1 p.m., and an explosion was heard from the building at that time. It was unclear what the explosion was. The first officer on the scene encountered an active shooter and exchanged fire with him, according to Greenfield Police Chief Bradley Wendelt, who briefed media on the scene. The shooter was down and is believed to be dead, said Wendelt, who was acting as police spokesman for the incident. He said authorities had no evidence of a second shooter. Windland said that the officer was hit multiple times but is expected to survive. He said the officer was a twenty year veteran and an extremely accomplished tactical officer. He was taken to Frodert Hospital in Wawatosa, where he was in surgery just about uh, just before two PM. Among those who were shot were the president of the temple, Satwant Kaleika, who was also taken to the hospital. Deepender Dwaliwal said Kalika his brother-in-law, was shot in the back, but he was now being taken to a hospital in St. Francis. Dwaliwal said his sister, the president's wife, called him while hiding inside the building with a few other women. Dick Katchke, a spokesman for the Medical College of Wisconsin, said three adult males were being treated at Froedert Hospital in Wauwatosa. One of the three was undergoing surgery at the intensive care ward, another is in an operating room, and the third is being treated in the emergency room, Katchke said. All three were being treated for gunshot wounds. All are in critical condition, according to Froedert. People were in the temple as early as 6.30 a.m. Sunday, and many more were arriving for a service that was to begin about 11.30 a.m. Before I get into this any further, you know, I I think this is probably going to be another, especially because it was so close to the last shooting, uh, the Dark Knight premiere, but this is another time we have to kind of take a look. Now, I don't think this particular case was an automatic weapon, but that's not to say that we shouldn't look at our gun laws because of this. And, again, I am pro-owning weapons. I I think there is no problem with it. But what we find more often than not, and it's one of the arguments that really drives me crazy about gun enthusiasts, uh, obsessive gun enthusiasts, is that uh, criminals don't pay attention to gun laws. Well, it's not the criminals who are buying the gun, It is it, that are ending up shooting people like this. They are law-abiding citizens until they snap, and they go fucking nuts, and then they start shooting people. Now, in this case, they're, and I'm going to get into it in a second, they're presuming it was a hate crime. In the last one, the guy just went crazy. But they were all legally purchased. They were not illegally gained weapons. So gun laws, in these cases, would have worked wonders. So that argument that criminals don't pay attention to gun laws, hence we shouldn't ever look at restricting gun laws, is pointless and ridiculous. It is not looking at the whole picture, and it is trying to uh, make a a valid argument invalid um, through flawed logic. Just wanted to get that out there. There were reports that children were taken away from the area in the building where the shooting took place after shots were fired. Someone who sent a text message to a General Sentinel reporter shortly before noon said that there were two shooters with children possibly as hostages, and the head priest was locked inside a restroom with a cell phone, and that there were as many as 20 to 30 victims. One of the temple's committee members, Ven Boba Ree said that based on communication with people inside the temple, the shooter was a white male in his 30s. <laughs> Aren't we always <laughs> the shooter? Some white dude in his thirties, just tired of life, being picked on. The middle class white man gets all the shit in the world. Uh, I kind of fall in line with Louis C.K. on this one. Uh, that there's nothing greater than being a, a, a white man in any era. You could go into and you would be okay. Uh, brilliant stand up uh, little session about that look up Louis C.K. if you haven't heard it Uh, but yeah I mean it it seems to always be the majority of serial killers and the majority of mass murderers middle class white men or lower class white men uh, around our 30s God gotta love being a white man in his 30s we have no idea he said of the motive it's pretty much a hate crime it's not an insider and here's the other thing You have no idea of the motive, but it's pretty much a hate crime? Well, isn't the definition of a hate crime the motive itself is to shoot people of a a specific ethnicity or religious background? Like, they're the ones defining that, which makes it a hate crime. Just because there's a minority shot doesn't mean it was a hate crime. It just means that someone went freaking crazy. It'll be a hate crime when we talk to the guy that you killed or we shuffle through his personal effects and we determine whether or not he was a bigot or not and then we can ascribe the hate crime title onto it but just to say oh we don't know probably a hate crime well then why don't you just say well we don't know probably an alien abduction and they convince them to shoot the Sikhs like you're just guessing at that point so don't if you say we don't know don't say anything after that point because anything you say after that point is a lie just saying According to Ree, the man started shooting after he walked up to a priest who was standing outside and shot him. So (laughs) he started shooting after he shot the guy? What kind of stupid freaking statement is that? Okay, so he obviously had a problem. He walked up to the Sikh temple, probably confused them with Muslims, as has actually happened in this area, and is uh, endemic to ignorance. Uh, So (laughs) Just because they wear a turban doesn't make them Muslim. Uh, so, yeah, he probably walked up and was pissed off, but then, I don't know, so he's probably aliens. It's sad, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, said Re, who had been fielding calls all morning from around the world, including India. Sikhism is a, such a peaceful religion, we've suffered for generations in India, and even here. We're all the same, said the temple member, Joss Winder Shandok. Everyone has the same blood. Groups of, that's not true, because we all have different types of blood, right? Like, I think I'm an A positive. Some people out there are B, positive or negative, and some are O. So, no, we don't have the same blood. (laughs) Ha ha ha! Take that equality. Uh, Groups of temple members were gathered on cell phones, conferring in small groups and watching from afar. Oak Creek Police were not giving out any information at this point. Numerous police agencies had responded to the scene to assist Oak Creek, including the Milwaukee County Sheriff Department and the Federal Bureau of Investigation. At least two dozen ambulances responded, including from Oak Creek, Caledonia, North Shore Fire, Greensfield, and West Allis. Those ambulances have moved to the temple at about 12.40 p.m. As of 1.15 p.m., the Milwaukee County Medical Examiner's Office said it had not been called to the scene. The Joint Terrorism Task Force, a collection of federal, state, and local law enforcement, was on the scene of the shooting by 1 p.m. Those task forces, several of which are situated around the country, typically work quietly to prevent terrorism attacks, but also respond to mass shootings to help coordinate law enforcement. Sources said it was too early to say if this would be considered an act of terrorism. U.S. Attorney James Santel said he expected federal law enforcement will play a role in the investigation. Exactly what that role is remains to be seen, Santel said. And this is the other thing that <clears throat> first they say it was a hate crime, now they're saying it's possible terrorism. Both of them are entirely dependent on the intention of the individual committing it. So, terrorism usually is to force some political or social statement. Uh, raging against establishment, as it were. Hate crime is just bigoted hate. It's it's pure and simple. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Everyone's bigoted. Every single one of us is bigoted in some way. Accept it and move on. But when you start pushing your uh, behavior on other people, that's when it becomes obviously an issue. I'm clearly anticipating that there will be a federal investigative support," Santel said. In a previous mass shooting, the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives trans the gun or guns u- trans Trace the gun or guns used in the shooting. FBI also may take on general investigative rule and have in that past helping with such warrants or conducting out-of-state aspects of the investigation. Meanwhile, Brookfield police officers were dispatched to the Sikh temple at 3675 North Calhoun Road as a precaution in the aftermath of the Oak Creek shooting. At least three squads were at the temple in Waukesha County, and they blocked off roads leading to the building. About 50 were in the Brooksfield Temple for a morning service, as many of them went outside after they learned of the shooting in Oak Creek. More than 20 million people worldwide follow the Sikh religion, established about 500 years ago, take that Mormons, in the Punjab region of India. Devout male supporters must wear long beards. Their, you know, I, I feel like saying take that Mormons, um, my religion is... really under 50 years old, so maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) Just had like a a moment of clarity in that statement as I said it. Um, Okay, so uh, devout male followers must wear long beards and their hair in a turban and in America are sometimes mistaken for Muslims. The two religions are not affiliated. Uh, Sikhism is an offshoot of Hinduism, but unlike Hindus who believe in multiple deities, Sikhs are monotheistic. In the days after the september eleventh, two thousand and one attacks, at least four acts of violence against Sikhs occurred in the Milwaukee area, said Swarnjit S. Aurora, a founder of the local Sikh Religious Society, said in two thousand and two. Two taxis owned by Sikh drivers were vandalized and two Sikh men were assaulted, said Aurora. The crimes were not widely reported by the news media, because they were overshadowed by dramatic events across the nation, he said. About three thousand Sikh families live in a southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, tight-knit community. They meet for religious services and share meals at the Religious Society in Brookfield and the Sikh Temple of Wisconsin in Oak Creek, which opened in 07. Sikh temples are called Gurdwaras, or the Gateway to the Gurus. The Oak Creek scene was similar to the situation in 2005, where a gunman killed seven people and himself at a church meeting in a Brookfield hotel. Terry Ratzman, 44, opened fire March 12, 2005, during a worship service of the Living Church of God at the Sheridan Hotel in Brookfield. All right, that's the article. I I, I wanted to bring this not only for the gun implication and not only for the um, intention, whether it's terrorist or hate crime, but also just to sort of make make this statement that I, I am a bigot like everyone. I have firm, irrational ideas that I hold on to and I inflict on people as a, a whole. I recognize that it is flawed to do this and so I do my damnedest to take people at a, a person by person basis. But whether it's my culture that I was raised in or the, the family unit or just some inherent ideas within me I look at someone and I uh, I presume their behavior. And this is statistically, this is through the media, whatever. We are all bigots in some way. Every single one of us. But we have to understand that though there are other bigots with our particulars out there, there are people who hate us for the same exact reason. We, being... Being a human being, certainly being a Satanist, means you have to be able to see all sides of a situation. And you cannot, and I cannot say this enough, or be any more clear about it, you cannot look at someone of a specific color, sex, ethnicity, I'm going to even throw in religion for that, or sexual preference, and know them. They are much more complicated than that one particular And they are not some of that particular. So just because they're uh, a homosexual man doesn't mean they are every other homosexual man, or that that one aspect of them defines them wholly. Human beings are very complex, and Satanists understand that, I think, better than anyone else. Uh, And so we cannot be racist overtly, we cannot be bigoted overtly about uh, anything... Because we understand that not every black person is a criminal, not every Mexican is a uh, 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 an illegal immigrant, um, not every Canadian is a comedian. I don't know why I threw that last one in there. Not every that was dumb. Not every Asian is good at math. Okay, that one's true, but <laughs> no. But you get my point, right? Uh, so, we, we have to understand that human beings are very complex. And so, if you're going to be out there killing people, well, one, you're wrong for killing people, but if you're going to uh, be uh, a, 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 just a bigot in general, you have to take people at their character behavior level, not at your presumption of that behavior. Because that only makes you ignorant. And if there's one thing a Satanist cannot afford to be, That's ignorant. Educate yourself about people before you hate them. Because chances are, you're going to find a reason to hate them. Let's be honest. But it may not be the reason you started hating them in the first place. (laughs) Alright, so the next article. This is the world seen by Republicans in a land of myth and amnesia. And this is actually from The Guardian. I actually really do like this paper. U.S. conservatives are increasingly keen to interpret their country's woes, primarily in terms of threats from abroad. This is by Gary Young, uh, posted Sunday, 29 July. The dramatic turning point in the career of Will McAvoy, the once inoffensive network anchor in the new hit drama The Newsroom, comes when he's asked to explain why America is the best country in the world. McAvoy tries to dodge the question, but when pushed, he sheds his uh, milk toast persona to deliver a tirade. There's absolutely no evidence to support the statement that we are the greatest country in the world, he yells at a stunned audience. We're 7th in literacy, 27th in math, 22nd in science, 49th in life expectancy, 178th in infant mortality, and 3rd in median household income. When you ask me what makes us the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yosemite? I actually played that uh, little blurb for you on the July 4th episode. In melancholic tones McAvoy then opines, we sure used to be before going on to mourn the loss of a nation's moral purpose, innovative prowess, and consensual possibilities. The reverence for lost, idyllic, American past merely mixes mythology with amnesia. America has had many great achievements in its short lifetime, but while it may be returning to a gilded age, it cannot claim a golden one. The essential characteristic of a nation is that all its individuals must have many things in common, wrote the 19th century French philosopher Ernest Renan, and must have forgotten many things as well. In just the post-war period, you'd have to forget McCarthy, segregation, Nixon, several assassinations, Vietnam, and Iraq, to name but a few. Nonetheless, the notion that America is in decline has gained a firm foothold in the national psyche over the last decade or so. A plurality, 45%, believes the country's best days are in the past. Almost as many, 42%, think China will overtake the U.S. as a world power. Bookshelves and newsstands are filled with explanations. In 2001, 60% said economic globalization was a positive development. Two years later was 42%. Last year, it was down to 36 The angst is found on both sides of the aisle. In 2004, Democratic presidential candidate John Kerry wrote the preface to a collection of Langston Hughes poems entitled, Let America Be America Again. Republican candidate Mitt Romney insists he'll return the nation to a day when each of us can walk a little taller and stand a little straighter. But while liberals are more likely to see the roots of the crisis as domestic, growing economic inequalities, religious zealotry, corporatization of media and politics, conservatives are increasingly keen to perceive the primary threats as external, immigrants, Islam, foreigners, and foreign trade. The most marked slump in support for economic globalization over the last decade has been among republicans and has the sharpest increase in anti-immigrant sentiment and fear of the threat of radical islam it is in this light that romney's <laughs> romney i can't even speak romney's gaffes in london the constant questioning of obama's american identity and the attacks on romney's record as a venture capitalist must be understood for among a core group of republican foreign has become an epitaph, a slur willfully blurring the distinction between non-American, un-American, liberal, non-Christian, and non-white. Paradoxically, those most likely to insist the U.S. is the leader of the free world are simultaneously the most likely to both fear and disparage the very world they insist on leading, whether it's free or not. To those people, America's best days were when the Americans did not care what the rest of the world thought of them, and the rest of the world loved them for it. The trend is most obvious in a popular line of attacks on Obama. The implicitly, and increasingly explicitly, challenges claim to be American. Last week, one of Romney's top surrogates, John Sununu, said he wished the President would learn how to be an American. Romney himself claimed the president espoused a philosophy that was in some respects foreign to the American experience. This is, of course, a proxy for race, made popular by the birthers, who, despite all the evidence, insist Obama was born in Kenya. In a world where direct racial attacks are out of bounds, foreign becomes a useful metaphor. This man, it says, is essentially not like us, or even from us. Branding a Muslim as though this too were in itself an insult has the same function. A recent poll revealed the proportion of Republicans who believe Osama. Osama. <laughs> was Freudian? Uh, believe Obama is Muslim has doubled since 2008. I want to say that again. The proportion of Republicans who believe Obama is a Muslim has doubled since 2008. Not gone down, gone up and now stands at almost a third of all Republicans. The trouble with these dog whistles is now that everyone can hear them. They're scarcely worthy of the name. Romney has barely landed in London before an advisor explained the reason he appreciates the special relationship more than Obama is because Romney is part of an Anglo-Saxon heritage. (laughs) Seriously. But race is not all the attacks... It's not what they're all about. For the continent, they're most likely to tar Obama with its not Africa but Europe, ostensibly a region of economically failed states pampered by overly generous welfare that also happens to be allies. The president takes his inspiration from the capitals of Europe, said Romney. We look to the cities and small towns of America. It's with this mindset that Romney Undertook his disastrous trip to Britain described in his book as <clears> a <throat> excuse me small island that with few exceptions doesn't make things that people in the rest of the world want to buy <laughs> How's that for PR it's for this reason and that's actually not true if you believe uh, you know as for barrel they got a lot of good stuff that we want to buy and they are yeah UK. Uh, It's for this reason that accusations of outsourcing a Bain Capital where he was once CEO and ads about his offshore bank accounts have made him vulnerable. For the party most likely to champion patriotism and leverage parochialism, is also the party most likely to be bankrolled by multinationals and champion free trade. A significant portion of the Republican base, white working class men, have seen their livelihoods threatened by the very neoliberal globalization that their party seeks to extend. Profit has no intrinsic interest in patriotism and capital, increasingly is unfettered by the nation state. The capitalism they vote for, and the capitalism they actually experience, couldn't be more different. But in the absence of any real opposition to that trend, Democrats support it too. Many Republicans reach for the comfort blankets of hyper and xenophobia and the more accessible targets of immigrants, foreigners, and Muslims. Open borders for capital and closed minds for culture, classically liberal economics, and classically liberal politics. Alright, I, I think that article speaks for itself. I absolutely loved it. Uh, let me know what you think. If you think this was just written by a liberal who wants to, lives outside of the country and just wants to hammer on some uh, Republicans, or if you actually see the point. So let's go ahead and move on to Down to the crossroads. Welcome to another episode of Down to the Crossroads. I'm being joined once again by Aaron. How are you, my dear?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: Very good. Now, last time we did this, uh, I felt like it was a little hollow of an entrance. I felt it was a little awkward. So we worked together on this bumper, and it still is (laughs) admittedly a bit awkward and really, really long. So what we're going to play this week is the long version of the bumper, and then from here on out, it'll just be sort of a cut-down version. So imagine this, if you can, audience, as an intro to Down to the Crossroads as if you didn't hear the first episode of uh, Down at the Crossroads, which actually was the intro. So bear with us here. Hey there, son. Where you headed, boy? Just up beyond sir. N- another mile or so. What? In the middle of Hostelis field? No, sir. Just just means someone's not. You go ahead and hop on in here. I'll give you a ride. You got to be
2: walking There you will. Sure you won't stay out in this blackout. Sure is dark tonight.
1: Thank you for the ride, sir. I think I'll be fine.
2: See you, <laughs>
0: <laughs> You don't.
1: I have a little Samo three playing in the background. Uh-huh. What are you doing out here? <laughs> oh. I'm headed down
2: to the cross. crossroads <laughs> Wait, miss You can't be You're the You're the devil, devil. But you're, you're beautiful. beautiful Just sign here Oh my god
1: There it is, everyone I hope you <laughs> I hope you tolerated it I'm not going to go as far as to say enjoy it I hope you tolerated it <laughs> Okay, so down at the crossroads, Aaron brings us um, some really amazing music, and this week is no exception. What do you have for us?
0: Well, this time what I decided to do was do a sort of variation on a single song. So I have three songs for you, but it's all um, the same song, just different versions. I've got the original, which uh, so this Sleepy John Estes, the song is called "The Girl I Love." She got long curly hair. And the original was recorded in 1929, and like I said, it was Sleepy John Estes, he wrote it, and he recorded with, he's from Brownville, Tennessee, and he recorded with a mandolin player from there also, Um, his name is Yank Rachel, and these two grew up in this small town in Tennessee, just going around, playing house parties and picnics, and out on the streets, and um he was discovered one day who knows how but um and so somebody decided to record him and he recorded for victor records and like i said i think it was recorded in 1929 i don't know when he wrote it yeah let's go ahead and play that and we'll talk about that so let's see the sleepy john estes that's right
1: This, this sound—I mean—you're immediately hit with. I the record uh-huh. crackle.
0: Yeah, it takes you back to a different time. But so on this recording, we got Sleepy John Estes on vocal and guitar, and Johnny Hart on piano. And like I said, Yank Rachel playing the mandolin. And Yank. now Yank—I think his real name is James, but I, I, I don't know how we got the name Yank. But it's from north. Um, I don't know, maybe That's a good question But I know that they both ended up in Tennessee Because that's where they met and started playing together And they actually, um Now, I know there's a couple rumors about where sleepy john got his nickname sleepy um well he had a tendency to fall asleep that's pretty that's (laughs) there's no question about that part but um some people say it was actually like a medical medical condition like he had uh, like a blood pressure disorder or maybe he just had narcolepsy and undiagnosed but and there was actually one blues historian who who guessed that he just had a tendency to withdraw from the surroundings into drowsiness whenever life was too cool or too boring, to warrant his full cool attention. So, you know, I'm sure we've all had that, like, I'd just rather go to sleep than deal with what's going on.
1: And mainly, like, grade school.
0: Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, anyway, his nickname's Sleepy John, and, uh, you know, he's not a great guitar player, but his voice pretty much makes up for any shortcomings he has on guitar. And of course in this recording, the, the standout instrument is that mandolin. Um, yeah. I've never heard anything like it before or since, except, well, in the last song we played for it, but we'll get to that. we we'll get to that. Um, so, Sleepy John... Estes was, he recorded when he was rather young, and then he sort of disappeared for 20 or so years, and uh, nobody really knows what happened to him, he's probably just living his life, and, you know, working as a sharecropper, and at some point in his life he, he went totally blind, and um, everyone had just assumed he was dead. He was born in either 1899 or 1904, it depends on his first, you can I can't nail that down for sure, but it's one of those two dates, and uh, he did live to be in his, in his 70s, but like I said, he was gone for many, many years from the scene, and then somebody found him, and he started recording again, He does another, he does this song again later in his recording career, it sounds Pretty good It's not as great as this original But it's, it's pretty good So uh, How we doing on
1: time? I can't really hear where we're at uh, That's right it's, it's wrapping up right now Oh,
0: wonderful
1: that. Oh, I love that Okay, so that That was Sleepy John Estes uh, And that track was titled The Girl I Love She Got Long Curly Hair But it's sort of the The theme of going to Brownsville
0: That's right, yeah
1: Presumably where she is So before we hear the next one Do you mind if I ask you Why you chose this song?
0: You know, that's a good question. I chose it mostly because of the mandolin. Not an instrument you hear very often in the blues, and two of the tracks that I'm going to play this original, the Sleepy John Estes, of course the mandolin is standout. And then the last one I'm going to play is the Ry Cooder version of this that's actually called Going to Brownsville, and he plays, and the the recording we've got is a, a live version. And uh, he did record it, but the recording's not as great. It's got too much instrumentation. The the, the one I'm going to play is just him and a mandolin. And I think, you know, it's so unique to hear that combination, especially in blues. It's just, the mandolin's not really a well-known blues instrument. People think harmonica, you know, guitar, sometimes piano even. But the mandolin, it's such it's so unique. Uh, now, the second song I'm going to play, this is uh, Mississippi Fred McDowell. No, there's no mandolin in it it's just mississippi fred and his guitar um so what, why don't we cue that one up and i'll talk about that one right, here we go so
2: oh, i love it oh. yeah
0: so mississippi fred and now i was saying that uh sleepy john estes isn't really known for his guitar playing mississippi fred mcdowell is definitely known playing, and, you know, the thing he does, uh, I think he's most famous for is that bottleneck slide sound that you hear, uh, pretty much well-known, but you know, very well-known for his slide guitar playing, um, so this was recorded in 1964, now, Mississippi Fred McDowell and Sleepy John Estes, they're both right about the same age, um, so Mississippi Fred McDowell was born in 1904, um, but he didn't really start recording until 1959, 1960, uh, Lord knows what he was doing all that time, probably playing, you know, practicing slide guitar, getting really good at it, um, but nobody, nobody found him until about that time and he started recording, you know, uh, tuned his guitar to an open chord and just used that bottleneck slide to to create that sound, you know, it's a very distinct blues sound, but, um, it's more associated with the later, like, Chicago blues. You didn't hear a lot of the old Delta guys playing with the bottleneck slide at that time. Um, so... The most noticeable difference between this version and the original is the instrumentation. The lyrics are a little bit different, um, but there's no piano on this, and there's certainly, you know, you don't hear that mandolin that I love so much, but I think it's just, it's a total, you know, it's a totally different take musically, but the feeling is still there, and um, it's so good. What do you think?
1: Well, I, I have to say, I actually think I prefer this one. I, oh, yeah? when, when I hear some, like, old-school, uh, like Sleepy John Estes, for example, I, I appreciate it for the time. I, I really, actually, truly enjoy it. But this right here is, it's like bread and butter for me for some reason. I mean, it's, it strikes all the right chords of... Uh, uh, his voice, I think, is is very stereotypical of Dixie Blues. Uh, the guitar, as well, is just amazing. And, and hearing the sliding of the chords is actually just this amazing feel. It just, I don't know, it just runs yeah. right through me.
0: Yeah, well, I, I can see that, but that's funny, because I totally prefer the original. And I don't know why, you know, Sleepy John Estes, he even in the early recordings when he was pretty young, he was probably, you know, maybe 30, uh, already sounded like an old man, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Sally'd had a, he'd already had a rough life. And <clears throat> I don't think anyone really got away with an easy life back then, especially the black folk, you know? <laughs> they didn't have... <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah,
0: I guess it does. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, you know, I like that about the Sleepy John. He just already sounded like he'd had it. he'd seen everything, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: Okay, so this is something that we were talking about last time uh, we did uh, down at the crossroads. At least I believe we did. It's it's the the heritage of blues artists, and maybe we just touched on it. Taking songs and sort of making it their own, and yeah. uh, you know, adding their own flair. And I guess this episode is just that idea personified. Yeah, yeah, I'd um, like to think so. So, Sleeping John Estes started this track off, and he started off right this really creative mandolin. Mississippi Fred McDowell, for me, brought it home, um, (laughs) but you were still favoring the first one. We have one left, right?
0: We do, and this one is... Okay, so, Ry Cooner, he started out playing with, like, Taj Mahal and Captain Beefheart. He was pretty much... I mean, he's a studio musician. He's a hell of a musician. He's still recording... this day this uh, track he recorded on an album in 1970 but the version i'm gonna play for you i think it's from 73 70 ish it's uh, uh from do you do you ever hear that show the old gray whistle test it was like a no. it was at a british show i'm you know youtube clips all over the internet but um this is just him and his mandolin and his voice and you can go ahead and play it and i'll jabber back to the
2: mandolin Yeah right.
0: Yeah so, I can hear it Okay So this one we, He just called it Going to Brownsville
1: This is actually Feeling a little Led Zeppelin to me
0: Well It's funny you should say that Because Led Zeppelin did a version Of this song in uh be- right before this i think in 1969 but be- at least before Cooter recorded it um it they never released it on an album but it was not they did come out on an album called the bbc sessions now i don't know much about that recording i'm not a huge led zeppelin fan but of, of course it will come to- as no surprise to anyone that led zeppelin i won't say stole a lot of blue songs, but you know they did a lot of blue songs without giving oh, yeah. a lot of credit to the old original. But um,
1: now, can mm-hmm. I jump in here really quick? One thing I did not notice right off the bat is that Ry sounds almost like he's trying to sound like Sleepy John um, Is that what he normally sounds like?
0: Mm, I guess not, but I don't know if it's if he's really trying to just do like a like a version of him or if it's just, you know, that's what he hears when he sings it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I didn't get that feeling at all when I first heard his version of it. I I just, I was blown away by this version of it. He just, coming, if you could see the video, maybe you'd be a little more blown away, but he's just, I mean, he is just going to town on this mandolin and he is singing his heart out. And it's pretty amazing because I don't normally like sort of and I know 1973, it was a long time ago still, but I still don't consider it very, um, you know, when I think of the blues, I think of, like, 20s, 30s. I don't think of the 60s and 70s all that much, so, but Ry Cooter is the real deal, as far as I'm concerned. He really, you know, did his home, and he's, you know, recorded with the Rolling Stones, Neil Young, the Monkees, but I think he, he, he's he got the chops to, to play this stuff, and, you know, he's earned the right to, to call himself a Musician. But yeah.
1: Is it is that something you want to throw up on your resume? The monkeys?
0: <laughs> yes. What's wrong with the monkeys?
1: Oh, I'm just saying. It's like I am in a manufactured, blatantly television-based band.
0: Well, but they did go on to do wonderful things, wouldn't you agree? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I honestly, outside of the show, I didn't follow them that much at all. Oh wow. Well, this that's another another episode we'll talk oh, about. No. Just the monkeys.
2: <laughs>
0: well, like you know, I'm not a Rolling Stones fan or a Neil Young fan necessarily, but these are all people that he recorded with before he even started his own career. You know, he was just with a session musician. I mean, so besides Led Zeppelin, I, uh, this song has been recorded many times. Uh, I think Janis Joplin even did a version, which is weird because I I only found that while well doing research segment i had no idea she did it but um and then i'm trying to think of others that's all i know for sure but
1: i feel like janice joff was one of those artists that did literally every song known to <laughs> at one point or another
0: she might have and she died pretty young so she was pretty prolific in those few years she was alive and working do you think she's maybe a little overrated um i might have agreed that A few years ago, to that statement, but I think recently I've become more appreciative of her work. I mean, she died when she was—I may be wrong about this—but she was really young, like 27, I think, when she died.
1: Yeah, I I think maybe. I mean, it was the same as her Hendrix and uh, Morrison, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, like same age, not the same year. Right, right. But you know. My father was a big fan of Janis Joplin. My mother was too, but my father w- isn't, wasn't a hippie. You know, he didn't—he didn't, he was a lot older than that. He was too old to be a hippie. But um, wow, she, I don't know if she was overrated. I think she might actually be underrated. Wow, really? I might say that because
1: and there's. Anyone who loves music seems to have a passion for her. But mm-hmm. every single time I sit down and I just try to listen to her, mm-hmm. um, I, I just cannot get the groove. <laughs> like I appreciate the sovereign comfort alcoholism. Right, I appreciate right. <laughs> the, the her voice. Uh-huh. I don't know that and maybe it's just the style of, of like I guess like jam band music yeah, that I, can... I feel like I understand. Or like, I could be way off base on this, but no, no, <laughs> anyway, like, that was Ray right, or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the song was almost twice the length of yeah. uh, the other versions. What uh-huh. do, you, do you think? It was just so he could uh, really show his his picking on the mandolin.
0: Uh, maybe he also kind of drew it out a little bit longer. I think he was, you know. I don't want to say he was trying to create an atmosphere, but I think he was definitely sort of in the moment, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: yeah, I did notice that it was quite a bit longer than the other ones. I don't know. I just, I like that version so much. And the the recorded version that he did is I don't care for. I wouldn't listen to it, you know, given my druthers, I I would never put it on and just, you know, jam out to it. But, you know, it's got a lot more instrumentation. And what I really liked about this version of it was just him and his mandolin, and uh, I think he shreds on the mandolin.
1: So did he? Did he choose the mandolin because of the original, or just because he had, he he likes the instrument?
0: Yeah, I think because of the original. Yeah, he's a great mandolin player. You know, and so why wouldn't you? You know, why wouldn't yeah. you go back to the original instrument and just show how? great, you can play it.
1: <laughs> so if, I mean, if if you're proficient with the guitar, mm-hmm. I mean, do you think banjo and mandolin are sort of like the other ends of that? <laughs> like they're like opposite ends of the guitar where they're just, they're sort of their own thing, but they all meld together?
0: I don't think so. <laughs> really? I don't know if I'd agree with that. I know a lot of Good guitar players who do then venture into mandolin and banjo, but there's also people who own, you know, exclusively play mandolin or or exclusively banjo. Yeah, they're all hard instruments to master, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, which makes you know episodes like this uh, down at the crossroads all the more wonderful because we're (laughs) celebrating it. That's right. Well, I, I dug that. Um, I I don't know. I'm like you. I I wouldn't ever like just look for that version of it.
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, but it was interesting to hear. I I think I'm still going to stick with the second one.
0: <laughs> well, I would suggest that you and your listeners try to find the video for that Ry Cooder going to Brownsville because mm-hmm. just to see him like the the you know energy he puts into it. He's stomping his feet and he's you know his face is red. You got to see the video to really appreciate that.
1: Nice. <laughs> and that's one of those sort of trademark elements of every real, you know, talented musician that I, I truly appreciate. It's when they, they're they not just sort of, uh, you know, mailing it in. They're not just yeah. playing. They're actually feeling what they're playing. They're, oh, definitely. they're putting it all into it, and that's what... I guess that's what draws me to the blues, and certainly um, uh, artists like Raikut are, are, you know, holding that up. And, yeah. and maybe it's also one of those things where... If you're a session musician, mm-hmm. rather than just, uh, you start not necessarily playing with anyone else, but just sort of, uh, putting yourself out there, mm-hmm. maybe you don't have a f- as full an understanding
2: mm-hmm. of, uh,
1: the message or the instrumentation or, you know, it, I don't know, maybe I'm talking up my ass. No, I would <laughs> agree. Let's be honest, I do a lot, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I, just feel like if, if you're a session musician, you have tried various styles, you have to, in order to eat, That's right. um, and you have crossed paths with all of the greats in your region or in the area, um, mm-hmm. uh, the style of music,
0: mm-hmm. and so you
1: you just ha- you're you're sort of forced to feel it more rather yeah. than just you know being the next fucking teeny bop whatever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> maybe so. And I would say that you know Ry Cooter when he you know he started out playing with Captain Beefheart and nobody's more genuine and <laughs> sincere than Captain Beefheart. So, I think mm-hmm. he cut his chops with those, you know, those and Taj Mahal too. I'm not a huge fan, but they, you know, he's legit. There's no doubt about that. Hell
1: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for another down at the crossroads. I Happy had a blast. To be here. Yeah, me um, too. So, what how are you how are you feeling about this so far? I mean, I've... is this something you want to keep going on are you, oh, are you absolutely. sick of it already?
0: <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> no, I love it. It's great. Awesome.
1: All right. Well, I'm I'm very excited to see what you have in store next time. Yeah. Uh, audience out there if you want to find Aaron online uh you can twitter uh chelsea girl 19 uh Aaron thank you so much yeah uh, thank you you're uh, you're doing a good job here and <laughs> next time I promise we'll have a, a shorter intro oh
0: cool sounds great <laughs> <laughs>
1: all, right. all right that's it that's uh, another down to the crossroads I love that segment Aaron is doing an amazing job and I just like being exposed to new songs or new artists that I'm not necessarily familiar with. It's, it's one of those, you know, just part of that whole growing thing I love. All right, but that's going to do it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the Net, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9cents, and get updated on weekly topics. We're also on Last.fm now. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents. Don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit ChurchOfSatan.com And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com and online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me and as always, I'm your host Adam Campbell and until next week, Hail Satan!